Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. I'm going to read to you our verses, Mark 2, starting in verse 13, still on the worship guide. That's what I'm looking at. But of course, if you've got a Bible, use that too. Again, Mark 2, I'm starting in verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And he was reclined, and as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many who followed him, and the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, he said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick, I come not to call the righteous, but the sinners. So, Bill, if you want to come on up, I will pray for you. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this day. It feels weird to be in our living room again um, in front of a camera. I don't really like it, and I know Billy doesn't either, but I ask that, Holy Spirit, you would still um, rule and reign through your word like you promised that you will, that you promise you are our comforter and our counselor, that you remind us of your truth, and that um, you would speak through Billy Thank you, Jesus, that we see your perfect loving example in your word. Would you make that true of our lives? Would you open our hearts to receive you and our minds um, to also receive you, but to long to love you more? Just be with Billy, hide him behind the shadow of the cross, that it would not be him that speaks, but it's only you. Order his thoughts, order his words, and for your glory alone. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're jumping back into the Gospel of Mark, just kind of working through Mark chapter 2. And so again, as Hannah just read, that's where we're going to be spending um, our time this morning. And really, there are some jobs that you just kind of need to have a really thick skin for. Um, when I when I read about Levi, when I, when I kind of see what he's doing, it kind of helps me think of some of these jobs that are kind of difficult, challenging, that you definitely need to kind of be tough at. So for me, I think of my brother Drew when he came back to America. He had been living in Japan, serving as a missionary for some time, and he came back to connect with and serve as an intern for um, a church. And while he was doing that, he decided to look for a job that would help him pay the bills. So Drew took a job being a parking attendant. Now that is a crazy, difficult position to work, right? Nothing's gonna quite welcome you back to American culture like being a parking attendant writing parking tickets. I mean, everyone hates you. You walk around with people just scowling at you like, come on, man, just five more minutes. I I was like on my way here to put a quarter in. Please don't give me a ticket. And that's the kind of thing that Drew had to experience as he had to argue with people and talk to people and deal with this whole issue of being a parking attendant. I kind of wonder if Levi felt that way as a tax collector, that everyone just kind of disdained him and couldn't stand him, didn't want to be around him. 
He was working in a profession that was truly despised. Today, we, we see this really kind of incredible moment in Levi's life and really in the story of Jesus, where Jesus is on mission. Again, he's calling disciples to come and to follow him. And this time, he's not going after fishermen. He's going after the socially despicable. And what we see is Jesus is pursuing the sinner. Jesus is pursuing the sinner. And here's what I want you to catch this morning. Jesus befriends the sinner and confronts the self-righteous. Jesus befriends the sinner and confronts the self-righteous. See, our mission as the church is to share the truth of Jesus. And our goal is that sinners would meet Jesus. That means everyone, right? Because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, missions is something that we often think of when we think of sending people overseas. But more often than that, mission is not going overseas, it's going across the street. And so when we look here at scripture, and specifically when we see Jesus' actions, and we also look at Jesus' final words, he calls you and I, he calls the church to go to take the good news everywhere. And we are called to look like Jesus, right? We're called to follow after him and display the good news of the gospel to a hurting world. Today, we are going to look at this story and see how Jesus' radical love compels us to show mercy to others. We're going to see how Jesus' radical love compels us to show mercy to others. Let's jump in the text and see first that Jesus befriends sinners. Look again at verse 13 and 14. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphas, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he, Levi, rose and followed him. Jesus' reputation, again, just to give some context to this passage, his reputation is through the roof. Everybody knows who Jesus is. He had been healing the sick. He had been casting out demons left and right. And there are throngs of people who are hanging on his every word. They are following him everywhere he goes. And as this crowd follows Jesus, as Jesus is continuing to teach and to preach, he does the most unexpected thing. He walks up to a tax booth and he tells the guy sitting there to follow him. Now again, I already mentioned that tax collectors weren't liked. But again, they're not just disliked like, like you and I might groan about the IRS, right? No, they were hated. And here's why. You see, the Romans collected their taxes through a system called tax farming. This is kind of like uh, you would see franchises being start like McDonald's, right? They, they would assess a district. They would give it a, a tax figure, a value, and then they would sell the right to collect taxes in that district to the highest bidder. Now, that buyer, the way it worked was they had to hand over at the end of the year the assessed figure from the Roman government. But whatever else they gathered on top of that, they could keep. Do you catch that? That means they could collect to a, a certain amount and then everything else is gravy that they can just put in their pocket. And it gets worse because there's so much obvious potential here for extortion. 
but it's compounded by the poor communication characteristics of ancient times so that people really didn't have any exact records as to what they were supposed to pay. So you basically were at the mercy of these tax collectors to tell you how much you owed. So yeah, this guy is basically ultra-rich scum. The Jewish tax collectors are easily, easily the most hated men in Hebrew society. They were considered to be despicable vermin. There, were, there was this competition for sure for this position because, again, it was lucrative. It paid well, but it came with a really, really weighty cost. Because you were regarded as a tax collector, you were regarded by your society, those around you, as a traitor. You gave up your Jewish identity, your social status, your membership in the synagogue. You were a disgrace in your family's eyes. Anyone who dealt with tax collectors and called them friends was considered to be unclean. So Jesus, in this truly scandalous moment, goes up to the tax booth, looks into the eyes of this traitor, the one who had taken advantage, who had given his life to ripping people off, and he says to him, follow me. This makes touching a leper look like JV stuff compared to welcoming this scum to follow him. What on earth is Jesus doing? Centuries ago, there was a number of workmen who were seen dragging this huge marble block into the city of Florence, Italy. This block of marble came from famous quarries outside of Italy, and they were uh, intended to be made into a statue of a great Old Testament prophet. But this particular piece of marble had a ton of imperfections. And so when Donatello saw it, who was commissioned to sculpt this, he refused it. So there it lay in the cathedral yard as a useless block for some time. Until one day, another sculptor catches sight of it. And as he examines this flawed block, something rose in his mind, something of beauty. And so for two years, this artist worked feverishly on this work. And finally, on January 25th, 1504, all these artists assembled to see what he had made. And among them were the greatest artists of that generation. And as the veil drops from this block, what they see is just this unbelievable masterpiece that's met with a chorus of praise. The succeeding centuries, right, they've confirmed the same judgment. It was Michelangelo's David. It's one of the greatest works of art that the world has ever known. You see, Jesus does this when he looks at Levi. Instead of seeing a broken traitor, instead of seeing a man who is beyond redemption, he looks past that. He looks at the broken life of Levi and he sees a Matthew. He sees a tax collector turned evangelist and gospel writer. This is how Jesus, friends, looks at sinners. He goes to the broken. He goes to the forgotten, to the most unlikely people. He goes to drug lords and crooked politicians and deadbeat dads. And he sees who they could be if they followed him. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Listen, y'all, Jesus is good at coming into a life without warning. 
to come into that life, to remake it, to remold it into his beautiful workmanship. And Levi's response to Jesus's call is so beautiful. This is what it says in Luke's account of the same story in Luke chapter 5. It says, And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. Levi leaves everything. He forsakes everything. His position, the comfort, the status, all the things that come with it. But the main thing that has to be forsaken is himself. There are two points of application as we look at Levi's response to Jesus. The first is this, follow me, follow Jesus. You see, Levi follows after Jesus. We too are called to forsake ourselves and follow after Jesus, to cling to him. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We cannot follow Jesus, friends, and remain in our sins. We cannot follow Jesus and maintain an allegiance to ourselves or our desires or our rights or our goals. Anything that keeps you, anything that that holds you back from following him must die so that you may follow him and him alone. Levi obeys and he leaves a life of comfort. He leaves a lucrative career because there is something about Jesus that makes everything seem like a loss compared to the worth of knowing him and following after him. Being a sinner is the only qualification Levi had for joining Jesus's disciple band. Jesus had come to call sinners to repentance and Levi was sick desperately sick with the disease of sin and Jesus the great physician healed him Jesus did not call us friends because of our righteousness or our gifting he called us when all we had was need and even now as his disciples we serve only in the strength and grace that he supplies because apart from Jesus friends we can do nothing Are you laying everything down? Political preferences and agendas too. Are you following after Jesus? Would would you do something as scandalous as going to the other side of the aisle? Those people that you truly see as despicable and show them the unbelievable compassion of the great physician. Are you following after Jesus? Levi gives us the only right response to the gospel call, and that's dropping everything and following him. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see Levi doing is, well, he starts a community group, right? He throws a great feast. He invites everyone he knows to come over and meet this Jesus who's changed everything. See, what happens for us as Christians is we often live as though following Jesus is all that God expects. And and if we happen to get community on top of that, that's a bonus, you know, if we have time for it. But listen, friends, to become a Christian is to be reconciled to God through Christ and to be reconciled to Christians through Christ. It's so that you are both a Christian and a member of the church in community on mission with Jesus 
and his people. Levi goes from being greedy to being generous. He goes from being stingy to showing hospitality. What would it be like for you to reimagine COVID as a season to be hospitable? Right? What, what if you were to think, man, maybe I could utilize my backyard. We've got some nice fall weather on the horizon. Maybe I could utilize my backyard for a distant time of connecting and hanging out in a safe way. What if you orchestrated a, a Zoom hangout for you and your coworkers? Friends, when we practice hospitality, we are displaying the gospel. We are showcasing the one who befriends sinners. And Levi... Levi jumps in with both feet. Are you following Jesus? Are you living in community? Are you showcasing hospitality? So all this is going on, right? We see this great example from Levi. But while there are sinners rejoicing around the table, feasting with Jesus, the religious elite, meanwhile, are standing outside scoffing. How in the world could Jesus have the audacity to eat with such Riffraff. And that brings us to our second point, and that's that Jesus confronts the self-righteous. Verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors, and the religious elite does not like this at all. They, they, they are looking at Jesus and they're seeing him associate with these sinners, again, with tax collectors who are the absolute worst in their minds. And they think this is a Psalm 1 moment, right? Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. How could Jesus do this, they think? You see, the, the, the thing that's happening here is that the Pharisees, they, they lacked the awareness They lacked the faith to see this isn't Psalm 1. This is Isaiah 7 coming to pass. That the man sitting among sinners was indeed the prophesied son whose name was not only Jesus, but Emmanuel. That God now was truly among them. He is the proof that God had come in the flesh. Not in a burning bush, not in a temple, but as a man. And these unclean folk, these desperate people in desperate need of atonement were having dinner with the only lamb that they would ever need. And when Jesus heard that the Pharisees were upset and he heard what they said, he goes to them and says, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. These Pharisees, you see, they have this this adultery delusion, this overestimation of their own spiritual health. So Jesus uses a metaphorical example of their blindness to explain his mission. Because they believe they are healthy, that they're clean, that surely they have no need for Jesus, or so they think. This sounds a lot like how some of us 
might be thinking of ourselves today. Those of us who, because maybe we know Scripture better than most, or we come from a family of faith, or because, you know, I've never committed any outwardly grievous sin, or because we vote a certain way, we think that these things make us right with God on the basis of our own perception of goodness. To believe that would make you no different than the people that Jesus is speaking to. It's interesting that those who are the most obvious sinners are often the ones who are the quickest to repent. Versus the kind of sinners who believe that the subtle ways that they sin somehow makes them a better candidate for heaven. Listen, Coramdeo, both the Pharisee and the tax collector are under the same wrath. They both had the same fate for the wages of sin, secret and spoken, subtle and blatant, is death. But as grace, as grace would have it, Jesus was there on earth in the flesh among sinners so that they could be made right with him. Jesus didn't come for perfect people, for if he did, he would have only come for himself. There is no stain too dark, no sin too small that God didn't have the power to cover. This is what unbelief wants us to forget. This is what unbelief wants us to forget sometimes when we're dealing specifically with unconfessed sin. We feel as if we cannot admit to God what he already knows. That we cannot let God in on the workings of a heart that he already sees. If you're dealing with sin today, whether you are a saint made righteous through Christ or you're a sinner not yet made right with God, know that you are the kind of person that Jesus came down from heaven for. He came for sinners. This is the hope of the entire world. That they don't have to remain as they are, but they can truly be given a new identity. The difference between those seated at the table and those pointing at the table is that God had come for them both, but only one side knew that they needed him. These broken, outcasted, and hated sinners, the text says, says that they followed Jesus. They might have had some messed up lives at one point, but at least they knew who to run to to be made clean. The Pharisees, they didn't understand, right? They didn't understand yet that their clothes, their upbringings, their education, their tassels, their good works, their knowledge of the Torah, those things, they might have set them apart in their own community, but it didn't make them any different than the world if they wouldn't have had, if they wouldn't have faith in Jesus. If they would have had the faith to see that this Jesus was the God become man and that God was conversing with them personally with sinners without the help of a human high priest, that they themselves were sinners, then the scene before them would have let them know that mercy, mercy had come. That God had come to speak with them. But they didn't think they needed mercy. They didn't think they needed Christ. To Coram Deo, this morning the question is, which one are you? Because either you come to realize that you are a Levi or a Pharisee. 
The good news is, Jesus has made a way of escape for both. It's better to know that you are sick so that you can be made well than it is to believe that you are well remaining sick. Jesus Christ, our great physician, it is he who was pierced for our sins. He who was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him is the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Friends, follow Jesus this day and each day. Cling to him. Know him. Walk with him. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you love us, that you have pursued us. God, that you call us to know you, to experience your grace. God, you call us to follow after you, to live in the context of community, to share with the watching world around us the hope of Jesus. Forgive us, God, for so often we have Pharisaic hearts. We think that because we do follow you, now we're somehow more righteous and we no longer need you. That could not be further from the truth. We are in desperate, desperate need of your grace. Lord, would you convict us of sin this morning? Would you stir us? Would you compel us to be uh, men and women who long for you, who yearn for you, who follow after you? We're so grateful, God, that you are making us new. Would we repent of our sins and would we follow after you, the one who befriends sinners and confronts us in our self-righteousness? We pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.